if you think about that on a bird, I mean, you're like approaching dragon size, you know? <laughs> That's true. I love that you just said dragons. That's so cool. <laughs> you're rubbing off on me. Yes. This is the Exploring the National Parks podcast with Dirt in My Shoes. My name is Ash, and I'm a former park ranger and the founder of Dirt in My Shoes. I think that the parks are best seen from the trail, and I'm here to make national park trip planning easy. And I'm John. I carry the kids on the trails, I tell stories, and notice all the things that Ash doesn't care about much, like rocks. Join us as we show you around America's spectacular national parks. We're sharing our favorite places, fun facts, adventures, and misadventures. And we'll even throw in a little trip planning. Let's start exploring. All right, everybody, this is the one you've been waiting for. The Grand Canyon Fun Facts episode. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited, too. I'm really excited to learn more about the Grand Canyon because apparently I don't care about rocks. (laughs) And so actually, that's kind of true. I feel like I don't know really anything about rocks. (laughs) So so I'm excited because I know this is going to probably be pretty geology heavy. But after seeing the Grand Canyon and just experiencing it, I mean, to put a timeline to it or to put like some interesting information with it, Mm -hmm. I'm just I'm really excited to see what you have. Exactly. Well, whether or not you've been to the Grand Canyon, the goal of this is to kind of enrich your experience that you will have or have had so that you kind of appreciate the Grand Canyon more because it's such an amazing place. And we'll get into each of the reasons why, but oh, I love this place. And even getting ready for this, I was like, oh, that's so cool. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. <laughs> Ash kept coming up to my office and be like, are you still? Yes, I am. I'm still reading all this stuff. It's so cool. Yeah, you definitely went down a rabbit hole for this. <laughs> I was like, wow, surely you don't usually spend this much time but uh yeah well no worries i'll be your tour guide through the grand canyon today and we will not get lost in the weeds there's five fun facts that we're going to kind of focus on a little bit we'll go in depth a little bit into geology but we won't get too technical that it'll be like you know science class bueller bueller kind of an experience (laughs) you know (laughs) this is going to be exciting let's just jump right in okay so fun fact number one it's the freaking grand canyon Okay. I know that's not a technical term, but oh my gosh, it's the freaking Grand Canyon. Okay. It's one of the seven natural wonders of the world. I was talking with you about this yesterday. You're like, which seven wonders? Oh my gosh. It's so funny because I was like, I've heard that the Grand Canyon is one of the seven wonders of the world, you know, and I was looking at some of the other things on the list with it. And uh, (laughs) apparently they have changed it. So it's now one of the seven natural wonders of the world because (laughs) they have other lists of seven wonders of the world that have added since then. But I'm like, seriously, like, I mean, I know there are some really cool things you can see, but like, how does a building, a really old building, like compare to the Grand Canyon? I know. It just, it, it doesn't. I'm sorry. Like buildings are cool, but like, Man, the Grand Canyon, you know? (laughs) Exactly. See, that's why fun fact number one is it's the freaking Grand Canyon. It's amazing. And it's a natural wonder of the world. But like for America, if you think about like for not just North America, but like the USA, you know, I feel like nothing is as universal as the Grand Canyon. You know, if you think of like some popular American icons, you know, some things that are popular and you've got like Niagara Falls, you've got the New York Yankees, you know, or the Boston Red Sox. I just made some enemies on both sides, Um, you know, (laughs) 
John Wayne, Lady Gaga, Batman, Superman, you know, some of these other things like the bald eagle. I don't know. In my opinion, nothing is as universal as the Grand Canyon. You know, it's an experience that like expands generations. You know, your grandma hasn't, you know, seen the last Batman movie or something like that. You <laughs> maybe know, she has. You don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe she has. She could be really cool. But but she has been to the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And so like for a young person talking to a, someone of the older generation, that's something they have in common or vice versa. An older person talking to a younger person, you know, the, the younger person hasn't seen I Love Lucy, you know, or read Anne of Green Gables, you know? <laughs> yeah, but they want to go to the Grand Canyon. They do. They yeah. need it for their Instagram, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, and other better reasons. Exactly. But yes. You know, but like it's a universal topic. It's something that people do you know, in America. And how many movies has the Grand Canyon been in? Like, oh my goodness. I feel like not even if you go back 50 years, you know, all the John Wayne Westerns, all the Italian, you know, the spaghetti Westerns, there was always a backdrop that somewhat resembled the Grand Canyon in some of these movies. Like, It was so, you know, if you're thinking of like Toy Story, before Buzz Lightyear came in, you know, and Andy was so excited about Woody, you know, Woody and all of his friends. It was like the Grand Canyon, you know, that was the backdrop for what they were doing. And it's just the Grand Canyon is if you go on to like IMDb, you can type in like how many times it was shot on set. You know, the Grand Canyon, there's over 200 movies, you know, where they shot on location in the Grand Canyon. And beyond that, there's a zillion other movies where they shot in places that looked like the Grand Canyon. Yeah, I mean... And I do, I think that that adds so much to the magic of it when you're there, because it really is like this all encompassing, like it's bringing us all together. We're all standing here at the rim of the Grand Canyon and, you know, you're from Japan and you're from South America and you're from Australia and we've all been anticipating the moment that we get to actually see the Grand Canyon. Oh yeah, exactly. You know, and a lot of times, you know, the Grand Canyon just happens to people. <laughs> it seems like to me, you know, like they're on a they're on a family road trip, maybe going out to Disneyland or something, and they stop at the Grand Canyon for a morning, you know, or something like that. Or some, you know, they're pumped. They they get out, they get their pictures, you know, and then that was their Grand Canyon experience, you know. But you for you and I, because it's our business, you know, we're like begging people, just stay the night, get on the trails, do something. You'll go down into the rim just for a second. But for most people, their experience just standing at the rim, whether or not they really explored it for days, like we would really encourage people to do, they had it. They were at the Grand Canyon. No one can take that away from them. They stood at the rim. They looked out across the vast landscape and nobody can ever fully comprehend or appreciate it. But one of the things that I don't know, for some reason why I always come to this sometimes when some of these busier sections of national parks, I'm just like, I could be standing at the same place that Grandpa Joe stood mm -hmm. at and appreciated the Grand Canyon. I'm on the same spot. I'm looking at the same views because the Grand Canyon doesn't change that fast. And right. so we're looking at the same thing that generations before us experienced in a very similar way to us. That's really beautiful to me. Yeah, I agree. Again, it just it adds so much depth to your experience in the park. And even though... There's so many things that can divide us in the world. There's differences of opinion, you know, blah, 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 blah. There's a million things that can divide us. But when you're standing at like Mather Point, which is like the first thing that you come to and where most people see the first view of the Grand Canyon, you know, you're standing there, you're looking out across the Grand Canyon and you look around you, you're surrounded by a hundred people, none of which speak the same language of you sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they the, don't look like you. They don't think like you. Yeah. They're not like you. But they are 
equally as excited to be standing next to you. Exactly. Having that same experience. Despite all the differences that people have, we're all here. You know, together, we're open-mouthed, united in wonder and amazement at something larger than life and super in its nature. Yeah. So the Grand Canyon, that's my fun fact number one. It's kind of just talking about how cool it is. It's an icon that has spanned for generations. Mm -hmm. The pictures you take tomorrow, your grandkids will look at in 50 years, you know? Exactly. It's just so great. And there's so many cool adventures, you know, it's not just looking at the Grand Canyon. There's other cool adventures you can do inside the Grand Canyon. But that's fun fact number one. The Grand Canyon is cool. The freaking Grand, Grand Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> So cool. Yes. Okay. Now we're going to get into it a little bit here with some of the science for a second. So fun fact number two, the Grand Canyon is deeper than the average elevation of all but three U.S. states. Think of the, the a state, you know, you've got mountains, you've got valleys, high points and low points. If you average out the elevation above sea level for that state, the Grand Canyon is deeper than all but three. <laughs> yeah. how cool is that i mean because it goes almost a mile down right more than a mile down oh like at the deepest okay. point the grand canyon is like six thousand or just over six thousand oh, that's feet deeper deep. than i thought yeah okay. and miles like what 5200 feet or something like that the only states that the grand canyon isn't deeper than colorado, is colorado yeah. wyoming utah Interesting. Yeah. And then... Which, this side is another... note, is why I love those states so much, because <laughs> their elevation is so high. Exactly. But yeah, that that's cool. So that's how that's the deepest that the Grand Canyon gets, 6,000. The average elevation for the Grand Canyon is 4,000 feet deep. That's how, that's how okay. the average, 4,000. And if we think of it that way, 4,000 feet deep is deeper than the average elevation of all but seven states. Okay. So, you know, yeah. New Mexico, Idaho, Nevada, Arizona. And so yeah. those are the other ones that are more than 4,000 feet above sea level, generally speaking. And so 43 states, that's the majority of the United States. Like if you stood the Grand Canyon next to it, it would be taller than it. Yeah. It just blows me away. It's yeah. Just... Well, and I mean, a lot of people, and that I think that's what makes it so cool too, you know, is a lot of people have not experienced a change in elevation that drastic right? before, you know? And mm -hmm. so it's like an alien landscape almost where it's like, I've never seen this much elevation change, <laughs> you know, especially because I feel like, you know, we look at mountains mm -hmm. and mountains, obviously like you are seeing that elevation change dramatically, mm -hmm. but you don't usually like notice it or see it the opposite direction, you right. know, instead of going up, you're going down uh -huh. at Grand Canyon. And so I feel like it's a sense of falling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> It's a true. sense of falling when you look at it. And so it just like, <laughs> it hits you differently. It's uh -huh. not like you're not looking up, you're looking down and going, Oh, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, that's, oh, yeah. that's a little scary. Absolutely. I bet I can't prove this and I don't have any statistics to back it up, but I bet you if you filled in the Grand Canyon, like if you measured how much volume of earth it would take to fill in the Grand Canyon, I bet you that would be more landmass than a lot of Eastern states. Yeah. In general, you know, and so that's how big it is. It's just huge. It's huge. Yeah. The, the Grand Canyon is so big. Now we're going to talk, if you listened to the Bryce Canyon fun facts a little bit, we talked about the Grand Staircase, but don't zone out because 
We're going to rock this thing like an 80s rock ballad, man. We're going to talk about bon the... Bon Jovi, man. <laughs> this is a Bon, bon Jovi, Jovi ballad. Yes. The one that comes to my brain when I think of an 80s rock ballad is... Oh, God. What's his name? I just lost it. Do, 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 do. I'll Brian die. Adams? For... Brian Adams. There it is. Okay, Brian Adams. I can't believe I got that off those four notes. <laughs> That's how good it is. You can just recognize it. You know, especially like the six and a half version of that song. It's like, I'll die for you. Wait for it. Wait for it. You think the song's over? Don't, no, no. Doon, 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 doon. You know, it just starts over. It has this whole reprise. We're going to talk a little bit about the Grand Staircase for a second. But the Grand Staircase in the Grand Canyon is so different than the Grand Staircase at other parts. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. If you don't know what the Grand Staircase is, basically... All these different layers that you're seeing at the Grand Canyon, they're layers of rock that was laid down during a specific period of time in the Earth's history. And so generally speaking, the newest rocks are on top and the oldest rocks are on bottom. And as these layers have eroded away... You know, you can basically, you see the land take step. It's like a staircase. It steps down. Bryce Canyon is the top of the staircase and the Grand Canyon is the bottom of the staircase. Yeah, so it's not a small staircase. I mean, it, it's it's huge. It covers a huge amount of land in southern Utah, northern Arizona. Yes, exactly. It's it's huge and it's very visible wherever you're at. You can usually see you're seeing some layer wherever you are and you're driving on some layer wherever you are in southern Utah. And so if you're, let's say, let's say you're Elastigirl from The Incredibles, okay? You stretch yourself out as tall as you possibly can. You're taking steps. You start in Bryce Canyon and you go towards the Grand Canyon. You're traveling back in time, millions of years. And if you go the opposite direction, you're coming from the past, you know, and you're coming to the future from the past. And so the youngest rocks in this Grand Staircase or Bryce Canyon, they're like 30 to 50 million years old. That's the top of the staircase, now, as you make your way from Bryce Canyon to the Grand Canyon, it's a fair distance, but you're not traveling that far in terms of time compared to the amount of time that you will actually travel in the Grand Canyon. That's why it's so cool. The Grand Canyon has got so much more time. And so quiz, I like to quiz oh, Ash no. on these. Okay, because here we go. Ah, I'm ready. <laughs> she I'm never ready. knows. It's like a trap question. I know. I'm like, you're just trying to make me look stupid, aren't you? <laughs> What are the youngest steps? What are the youngest layers of rock at the Grand Canyon? How old do you think they are? Okay, so you said 30 to 50 for Bryce Canyon. Uh-huh. Uh, when you start getting into numbers like that, I feel like it's, it's all massive. Uh-huh. <laughs> My brain can't compute. <laughs> um, okay, the youngest rocks at the Grand Canyon. I'm going to guess 100 million. Okay. The youngest rocks at the Grand Canyon are 270 million years old. Oh, I was close. You were close. <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> You're only off by 170 yeah. million years. Yeah. That's like five eras of dinosaur time. <laughs> 200, you know? Is it 270? 270. So oh. at the top of Bryce Canyon, 30 million. All those layers between Grand Canyon and Bryce Canyon, you're covering those layers, okay. that time period. And by so, the time you get to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, yep, you're 270, at 270 million, million years, years ago. And so that's crazy, right? That's so far. But then as Elastigirl, like once you get to the Grand Canyon, it's like, you ever see those like YouTube videos of people like in Ireland or England, like chasing the cheese wheel down the hill? <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> And they're just like, you know, and half of them, half, there's like a hundred people chasing this wheel of cheese and half, no, they're all like just rolling down the hill after like three steps. I feel like we should do that here. (laughs) That would be pretty fun. 
I think that would be pretty cool. A big waste of cheese, if you ask Truly, me. I know. Well, and is American cheese really good enough to roll like they do in England? I don't think quality of cheese has anything to do with it. <laughs> cheese adjacent. Cheese adjacent. That's <laughs> Those what they the said we'll in roll. Ireland when we were there. Yes. But that's just cheese adjacent, our fake cheese over here. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of what I picture Elastigirl when she gets to the Grand Canyon and she's taking these steps. She's just like, it's so steep and so fast. She'll just be stumbling and rolling down uh, these layers. because they're not big steps anymore. They're really small. She's yeah. basically dive bombing down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon because yes. it moves so fast through time. Exactly. Gotcha. And so the reason I say it's so fast and so and you, Elastigirl's splash, it's going to be huge. But as you go down these Grand Canyon steps, you suddenly hit 300 million. 500 million, 800 million, until finally, when you're at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, you're at rocks that they're dating to be 1.8 billion years old. I can't even, like, <laughs> well, you don't my, even brain, fathom it, right? my brain's like, okay, like, what, how do you even put that in a timeline? Well, exactly. It's so crazy because our lives in compared to geologic time are so short. Yeah. You know, and so once we start talking about millions of years, it's like, what's another million years? What's a billion years? Yeah. What's a B instead of an M? Well, you know? we're doing, I mean, we're doing a fossil podcast episode here in a few weeks and the dinosaurs that you, a lot of the dinosaur fossils and stuff, I mean, those are like 150 million. And right. I think in my mind, you know, you're thinking the dinosaurs were so long ago, mm -hmm. which they were. <laughs> Right. But you compare 150 million years ago when the dinosaurs were, you know, when Tyrannosaurus Rex is walking around versus, I mean, like at 150 million years old, you haven't even hit the newest rocks at right. the Grand Canyon. Yeah, exactly. You're not even close. Right. Oh, so who knows? This is where the Grand Staircase is cool. Geology rocks, right? It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's a nerdy joke if you caught Geology that. Geology rocks. What a pun. Now... Any of the other viewpoints that you might see the Grand Case Staircase from? The reason, what there's kind of a cool little twist with the rocks here at the Grand Canyon too, because there's three distinct layer groupings that kind of separate different age striations, different age groupings of these rocks. Okay, so the top two thirds of the Grand Canyon, you'll see there are a lot of very flat layer right on top of the other, one right on top of the other, one right on top of the other. Those are called like the Paleozoic, you know, layered rocks basically is what they are they're very uniform you know they're really easy to predict and stuff like that because it's just mm -hmm. really everything simple. settled the straight and <laughs> the way it was supposed to exactly yeah well once you get two-thirds of the way down the canyon things start to look kind of crazy and things start to change a little bit you might not notice that you really kind of have to have a scientific mind you know when you're looking at the at your pictures and stuff like that but once you get two-thirds of the way down you'll notice that the rocks are suddenly diagonal. Like some of the layers you're looking at are diagonal. And okay. th what that means is there's, they're a totally different grouping of rocks. And they're called like the Grand Canyon Supergroup is what they call them, which I think is kind of a fun name. Better when it's super. Exactly. It's a supergroup, but it's, it's not uniform at all compared to the other Paleozoic flat sediments that we've already layered on top. These ones don't obey the same rules. And then as you go a little bit further down, you've got some diagonals, diagonal, diagonal, and then you hit the Vishnu basement rocks. And those are the oldest rocks in the Grand Canyon. And they're kind of like igneous, but which means that they're like formed in the middle of the earth and they're kind of like, molten-y. I feel like the Trail of Time has one of those that you can touch. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they're kind of like gemmy, diamondy, kind of they're very different from some of the other sediments that you'll have because they're older and right. we don't know exactly the They've story behind them. They've been under different pressure and mm-hmm. heat probably too. Exactly. Now, scientists sometimes especially I don't know, maybe maybe especially geologists, maybe not. They kind of the way they describe things makes things a little less sexy sometimes. And there's actually a big mystery at the Grand Canyon. Okay. And so we've kind of been talking about how younger rock sits on top of older rock, right? Well, what happens if things don't obey the rules? That's the mystery that we have here at the Grand Canyon. It's called an unconformity or a nonconformity. There's a few different terms for it. But basically what it means is we'll have rocks that are like 1.5 billion years old sitting on top of like rocks that are 500 million years old. What it's happened? Out of, it's out of order. Yeah. What happened in between? You know, what? There, there's a huge gap there. That's like if you had a, a homework assignment at school, your teacher like gives you like a little pedigree chart or a, or a family tree and says, go fill this out and come back tomorrow. And we're going to have a lesson talking about family trees. And then you come back the next day and you wrote, okay, here's my name. Here's my dad. And here's King Arthur. Right. This is my grandpa. You, you, you know, it's like a whole lot of generations. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a few people between you and King Arthur of Camelot, you know? And so that's exactly what we're seeing, though, when we look at the Grand Canyon's rock formations and the history that we're looking at. There's a whole, there's a this nonconformity, this unconformity that we have at the Grand Canyon. They have hypotheses, but they don't have like a solid explanation. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. No, I want to know. I want you to tell me why it's like that. <laughs> so, so, so they have a couple of hypotheses. I'll tell you why. Why this ancient rock is sitting right on top of this younger rock and there's nothing in between, even though we know that there should be some there. So there's a few different hypotheses that they have. And both of them require things that are kind of supernatural in a way. Not really, but kind of. Let's say there was this giant tectonic a force underneath the earth that caused the earth to go straight up, right? Okay. And then all of these lower levels of formation of earth layers basically are forced upwards, okay? And then something happens on earth that kind of erodes those top layers away. Okay. And so basically what they're saying is it's called snowball earth. So let's say in Earth's history, the entire Earth was covered in glaciers, basically. And so at one point, you know, the Earth got shoved up, then the whole Earth got cold, and glaciers were everywhere. And those glaciers, you know, kind of eroded and pushed and carved away these top layers. And then as the the Earth warmed a little bit, you know, then all of a sudden these layers can start compacting on top of things. You know, so then you can have a younger layer of earth on top of an older layer, but you have to have a massive earth force in order to remove all those layers. Right. And so what's cool about this, it's not just at the Grand Canyon. It's on all of our North America. It's like all over the place. You just find, North America? Yeah, it's like all over North America where you can see this great unconformity, uh-huh. but it's most visible here at the Grand Canyon. Cool. So this is something like that the History Channel should like cover on like ancient aliens or something like that. Like, I don't know. The aliens came and they scooped up our rock layers. <laughs> exactly. The Death Star fired on Earth, burnt away a couple of layers, <laughs> you know, and then, you know. It just, just in North America. Just yeah, in North America. That's cool. Yeah. So that's why the Grand Staircase, you know, it's super cool 
here at the Grand Canyon. It's extra special, you know, and you can see it. Pay attention to it. Top two thirds, very flat, very uniform. Then you'll have diagonal layers and then you'll have the Vishnu basement rocks. You know, uh, is the Vishnu basement rocks? Is that where the unconformity is? Where does the unconformity hit? Um, I think it's kind of on top of the diagonal rocks. So the super group and the Vishnu at different locations, the unconformity hits different ones. Okay. So I bet if you walk the trail of time, mm-hmm. they'll give you a good, like, at least start into what you're seeing as far as the rock layers and stuff. So yep. it might talk about that. I don't remember because I don't remember learning that. And I'm trying to picture in my mind, like now I'm like, we got to go back to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I got to go see the rocks. I know. And then you can look back through your pictures or when you, you know, if you don't have a trip planned, just look through your pictures and you can see some of these cool layerings that are happening and the great mystery that, you know, was discovered in the Grand Canyon. That's awesome. So cool. That's fun fact number two. Grand Canyon is super deep. It's super cool. It's part of the Grand Staircase. Geology rocks. Geology rocks. Exactly. Fun fact number three is that the Grand Canyon area is literally like the Reader's Digest for North America. Okay. okay? So if you think of what a Reader's Digest is or like a, a Spark Notes or, or something along those lines, it condenses everything into you know something that you can digest in a very short period of time, right? Well... What I mean by North by the Grand Canyon is a Reader's Digest of North America is because the Grand Canyon is so deep, the way that it's set up, there's all these different elevation levels and there's all these different places where, you know, some places are wetter or drier, hotter or colder, you know, all these different things. The Grand Canyon has almost everything in North America. There was a scientist, he was evaluating North America and he came up with these life zones and there's like seven life zones in North America. If you were to travel from Mexico all the way up to Canada, you would travel through all of these different zones and they have different kinds of plants. They have different temperatures, ecosystems. Everything is different in these different life zones. Out of the seven life zones, the Grand Canyon has five. Just like in the layers? Or or you mean like in the surrounding vicinity and stuff? Like we're not talking anciently anymore. No, this is right now. This is all right now. Right now, the Grand Canyon has five of the seven life zones. Yes, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. And it has three of the four different deserts. And so like... For real? Yeah, exactly. So there's different... All these different zones of life that live in North America exist within Grand Canyon National Park. Wow. Yeah. And so to kind of think about it, like the five different life zones that are represented. So you've got like the lower Sonoran, that's a desert, upper Sonoran, that's a desert, transition, Canadian. This is a back east one, Hudsonian. Okay. You know, so you've got all these different eco biosphere type of things and they all exist within the Grand Canyon. And so if you were to travel from Mexico to Canada, five of the seven are in the Grand Canyon. Yeah. You can take the short way. (laughs) Exactly. And so like, so in the DC universe, when I was a kid, I was watching this cartoon with Superman and there's this character called the preserver. And so the preserver, what he would like to do 
is he would get the most unique or like the last of its kind kind of thing. So like the last mammoth or the last dinosaur, the last T-Rex or something like that. He would collect all of these things and put it into like his own personal zoo. And he tried to collect Superman because he was the last Kryptonian. Anyways, the whole story, it was pretty cool. Superman wins, obviously, <laughs> but like... It's if, not a bad idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so if we wanted to preserve North America like that, literally we would just need to make sure the Grand Canyon was good. If we just preserved the Grand Canyon, we would have most of North America covered. Which we're trying, yeah, right? <laughs> we're trying to preserve. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's so fun. So you mean like as you're hiking down, I'm assuming, you know, you hit these different life zones as you're like changing elevation and stuff as you go through the park, right? So like the right. top is much because the top of the Grand Canyon, the rims of the Grand Canyon are hugely different mm -hmm. than what you experience down at the bottom right temperature wise you know plant life all of that it's all different right so, well, so, so the, you're so just crossing through these life zones like as you're hiking down the grand canyon is that kind of how it kind of well, I like if you think though like the forests on the south rim are very different from the forests on the north rim yeah and then you've got like there's some foresty areas the riparian areas right next to the colorado river too yeah and near some of these really big like springs of water within the Grand Canyon. And right. so it's very easy to notice like when you're driving on the North Rim, like as you get closer and closer to the rim and as you're going higher and higher elevation, you can see the trees changing from like a pinyon juniper forest to more of like a white pine, you know, or you'll travel through some ponderosa pines, you know, or you'll even reach some areas that have aspens and some leafy forests. You've got all these different areas where all these different kinds of plants can survive. And because you have those different kinds of plants, you can support different kinds of animal life too. Hmm. And so that's pretty darn cool if you yeah, ask me. Yeah, that is me. really cool. And so the park serves as kind of like an ecological refuge for a lot of different plants. But there's also some rare plants that you can only find in the Grand Canyon too. So not only do we have kind of like broad general forests that can kind of fit within this life zone here, but there's a few things that only live in the Grand Canyon, which is pretty cool. My new favorite plant for the Grand Canyon is called the Sentry Milk Vetch. Okay. Like if you were to translate that from a scientific name, it just basically means the Gorge Watchman. And so it's this little teeny tiny plant and it's on the kind of like an endangered list right now because it only lives in a very specific place. It only lives and grows in shallow pockets of sand and soil in the Kaibab limestone formation. And it has to be at the rim of the Grand Canyon and only within 25 feet of the rim. <laughs> and so if you get further out than that, it can't survive. Wow. It's, yeah. It's very specific on where it can live. And so they've done a lot of things. If you go to Maricopa Point in the South Rim, they've kind of fenced off where it can be because there's only like four populations of it that exist right now. When they first were kind of exploring the Grand Canyon, it was everywhere because, I mean, you didn't have roads and trails, you know, a lot of this development that's on the Grand Canyon Rim right now. But right. I mean, they probably tore a lot of it out just to put viewpoints in the Rim Trail and Everything. Exactly. So if you see a little plant while you're walking along the rim, don't step on the plants because they're very special and they can only live in that area. Because if you walk, you know, 10 steps away from the rim, you're outside of its zone of living. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. You know, and not to take on a serious note, but you know, people often think that it's not that big of a deal to leave the trail 
But I mean, this we've had several examples in the past couple of months of things that are just like they're so delicate and they can only grow in a certain place. Mm-hmm. And if you leave the trails, then you are stomping it and right. killing it, you know, and it's just like, I mean, there are lots of things that I can think of even off the top of my head where that would be the case. And so it's not dumb that, you know, you're asked to stay on the trail Mm -hmm. because I didn't even know that planet exists. You know, I think most people don't. Right. But there is a reason that you don't want to be going off where, you know, things have where it's you don't want to be. You Uh you shouldn't be. So the little tiny milk vetch. That's such a weird name, too. <laughs> it's like the Silky Milk Vetch. I don't know. It's such a funny name. They're very little. But like I said, only in the... So as you're walking along the rim trail, sometimes you'll be on like this yellow sandstone. Well, and then you'll see like little pockets of soil, just dirt, basically. That's where it wants to live. So don't hmm. step on the plants. Respect the plants, you know, and just enjoy things with your eyes. Take pictures because that's the only place in the world where you're going to see that plant. And it's pretty darn cool. It's pretty small. But that's one of the things that it's kind of the uh, twofold mission of the national parks, right? We're preserving, but we're also making sure that people can enjoy these things. So finding that balance sometimes is a little bit tricky. But the Park Service is doing a pretty good job. That's why they've kind of fenced out some of the habitat for this plant so that people don't accidentally step on it and things like that. But Fun fact number three, how cool is that? As general as the Grand Canyon can be, where it can cover the life zones for most plants in North America, it's also got space for these very specific little plants that, you know, have carved out a little habitat and a niche that's so specific that they have to be within the arc, you know, of a football, of a a basketball court. You know, they basically have to be within the three point line of the rim in order to survive. Amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, the beauty is in the details. Okay, fun fact number four. So we've talked about the plants. We've talked about the geology. It's time to talk about animals for a second. Okay. Because the Grand Canyon has so many cool things. Just the numbers are are incredible. So it has over 355 different bird species. And one of the reasons why the Grand Canyon is special for birds is because a lot of them utilize it on their migrations. And so if they're going north from Mexico, you know, up to somewhere in North America, they almost all have to cross the Grand Canyon. And the Arizona desert is pretty harsh. And so this oasis of water, you know, at the bottom of the canyon is such a a godsend for a lot of these creatures. And so 355 different kinds of birds. I was just picturing in my mind. (laughs) This is totally off. But I was like, can you imagine a bird like getting to the Grand Canyon being like, okay, we got to rest here on the South Rim because, you know, tomorrow we've got to go across (laughs) Grand Canyon. For some reason, I was thinking there's like nowhere to stop. Uh But then... (laughs) But then when you said, you know, oh, you've got the river and stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, they could fly down, you know, and yep. and hang out by the river and then go back up. Mm-hmm. I was, for some reason, I was just thinking <laughs> they had to make the whole journey across the Grand Canyon. Not quite one, as big a deal for the try. birds. <laughs> <laughs> they could pretty much just glide down. Yeah. Coming out, they'll have to expend some effort. Yeah, I but... mean, they could even take a few days, you know, since they can <laughs> land anywhere. So Exactly. I don't know. It was just a, that was a funny little thought that went through my mind. Nice. Well, there's 89 different kinds of mammals. That's a lot. That's a ton. 47 different kinds of reptiles, nine amphibians and 17 different kinds of fish. 
that swim in the Grand Canyon. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, but I want to focus on a few of the cool, the coolest animals that I think are there. And so I want to start with some of the headliners, some of the, the big ticket items, the things that you're most excited about and some of the things that I'm most excited about. But let's start with the California condor. Okay. Yes, the California condor. So these birds are some of the biggest birds in the world. I, I literally think it's like top five. So, but by size, we mean its wingspan is nine and a half feet wide. And so that's... I just feel like that's like, if you think about that on a bird, I mean, you're like approaching dragon size, you know? <laughs> that's true. I love that you just said dragons. That's so cool. <laughs> you're rubbing off on me. Yes. But what's amazing, it's a nine and a half foot bird, but it's usually only like at max, maybe about 25 pounds. Yeah. Because birds have to be super light, right? Yeah. Their feathers are really light. Their bone structure is really light. They're kind of fragile creatures, actually, but they're huge. I think the ancestral like range for these creatures was like literally all over the United States. They were back east. They were in the Pacific Northwest. You know, they were all along the coast. And it's not that if you have nine and a half foot wide wings, you can literally just glide anywhere you want. Mm -hmm. But despite the fact that they could go anywhere their numbers dwindled to such crazy numbers like by i think in 1982 there were only 22 of them left yeah so sad and so but that's because they were being shot they were being poisoned you know they were getting hit by power lines you know they were flying into those things so there's a lot of things mm. that were causing it but what they actually had to do is they caught all 22 of them and then they kind of bred them in captivity and they've been slowly releasing them out ever since into different areas of the country. Yeah, and I mean, it still makes news when they when they release one mm -hmm. somewhere that, you know, or they'll release a pair somewhere that has not had them for a very long time. Right. And so now I think there's like several groups of them around the Southwest where there's the total population now has finally rebounded to more than 500. And so that is so cool. That's so much fun. And I love those birds. And if you see them, a lot of times you'll think that they're just like a turkey vulture, or sometimes they just look like a uh, raven. They're so big, you're looking for them, you kind of have to look for the context of where they're at. Should they be that big? It's hard at the Grand Canyon, I feel like, because the Grand Canyon, like the the scope of the Grand Canyon is so big mm -hmm. that when even when you see a big bird in the big canyon, mm -hmm. your brain like tries to make it fit into the parameters that it can it can, <laughs> you know, put it in. And so you're thinking, well, you know, yeah, that, that bird is probably just normal size. It's probably just because I'm looking at such a big canyon right exactly so because i remember the first time we saw a condor there and we're we did we like we had to look at each other and go that bird looks a little big <laughs> you know but am i just seeing things you mm -hmm. know is my brain trying to make it something it's not right because just the whole scope of the Grand Canyon is just so grand. Right. So, yeah. So, but it is so fun to see condors out in the wild. There's a few ways that you can verify that it is actually a condor because there's so few of them out there right now. If you're looking down into the canyon and you see one roosting or like one perched on something, most of them still have a number on their wing. And so you might still be able to verify, yes, I know that's a condor because it says 99 mm -hmm. or something like that. So that's that's one way you can verify that what you're seeing is an actual condor. Cool. So Yeah, hopefully when you go, you can see one because yes. they're incredible. 
Next, I have a huge love of bats. And so the <laughs> Grand Canyon, this caught me by surprise, but I mean, it kind of makes sense. The Grand Canyon is home to one of the highest bat diversities anywhere in the United States. And so they have like 22 different species of bat within the Grand Canyon. Nice. Yeah. And so it's so cool. But some of these are like migratory, you know, so some of them are making their way kind of like the birds. And so they kind of stop in. They're on the way to, to Carl's Bad Caverns. Exactly. Exactly. But they're so cool. And some of them eat bugs. Some of them, you know, eat nectar. Some of them eat fruit off of the cactuses. And so some of them will come at different times of year, but there's a ton of different bats. This little statistic really I thought was cool. Some of the bats are are capable of eating 1,200 mosquito-sized insects in an hour. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, bats. I know. It's like, I want some of these in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I'm having a picnic or something, I just want one of these zooming around eating all the stuff. <laughs> so no, the bats are so cool. Okay. I know you've probably heard of this one, the the Gila monster. Mm-hmm. So the Gila monster. I've never seen one though. Dang oh, it. I, I've never seen one in real life. I know. I want to see one. I think I would be a little nervous because they're one of the only, I think they're one of the only two venomous lizards in the world. Oh, I don't think I knew that. <laughs> yes. So did you know? Oh. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Not if I'm camping, especially. Yes. They can get up to like two feet long. Uh, they have kind of like a black, their skin is, looks kind of like almost like it's beaded. And so it's got these, these black and orange beaded like shininess to it and patterns on their back. But yeah, they're super cool. They're mostly on the west side of Grand Canyon. And so you probably won't see them if you're doing like the South Kaibab or the Bright Angel or something like that. They're mostly on the west side of the park, further west. But you know how the National Park Service sometimes makes me laugh on their website? Uh (laughs) Do they have something good for this? (laughs) Yeah, that's something that made me laugh. That was pretty good. It was like, Gila Monster Venom is not fatal to healthy humans. But a bite can be very painful. Do not handle these unique reptiles. And the first thing is like, well, of course, I'm not going to handle one. But how do I know if I'm healthy enough not to die? (laughs) (laughs) Who's making that determination? You'll probably die if you get bit by a Gila monster, but not you. Anyways, I just thought that was kind of funny. Well, just healthy humans. Yeah, be a healthy human, you know, <laughs> guys, be a healthy human and then it won't affect you as much. Oh my gosh. Now, this is not one that I'm excited about because I hate spiders, but the Grand Canyon has tarantulas. Mm-hmm. And so they're pretty cool. They're not yeah. the biggest in the world. If you're wondering how big they are, they can grow up to like four inches, you know, from leg tip to leg tip is kind of how they described them, That's which doesn't seem big enough. Four to me. inches too big. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that you would think a tarantula would be bigger than that, yeah. including the legs. Well, the biggest spider in the world is called the Goliath bird eating spider. It's in South America. And that one can get up to 11 inches. And so the ones that we have in the Grand Canyon are significantly smaller, but still gross. Yeah. But don't worry. There's a creature in the Grand Canyon that's trying to help us with the tarantula population. It's called the tarantula hawk. Nice. The tarantula, it's a wasp. It's a kind of wasp. Oh, it's not a hawk? No, it's not a hawk. Oh, I was like, I love hawks. (laughs) No, it's not a bird. It's a kind of insect. It's a wasp that is very specific on how it utilizes tarantulas. And so it's really funky. What it does 
because well adults will base i think adults they kind of do what other wasps do they plant nectar and stuff like that but what they do is the mom the female wasp the female tarantula hawks what they'll do is they will hunt for a tarantula they'll find it they'll sting it and the sting will kind of paralyze the tarantula a little bit and then the wasp will lay its eggs in a living Ew. tarantula uh. <laughs> and so and the, then the, 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 does the tarantula die the tarantula gets slowly eaten oh. by these by these eggs by these little like pupas they, or larvae oh that will oh. turn into oh. the larger things oh yeah it's kind of gross why did you share that <laughs> because it's I, I don't know. It's kind of gross. But I have a different story regarding the tarantula wasp. So last thing, they do sting people. So if you see, they're kind of like a bluish wasp with like orange wings. And my grandpa, Grandpa Nud, actually got stung by one once when he was hiking through the Grand Canyon. I remember Canyon. him telling us this. Right? Yeah. And so he was hiking through the Grand Canyon. They don't sting you unless like super provoked or like really worried or something like that. So you know, it's not, it's not like you need to go to the Grand Canyon and be all freaked out about it. But he like put his hand on this rock and then all of a sudden he felt this huge pain in his hand. And it it was his left hand and he was like oh yeah, yeah. you know and he saw this wasp fly off well the tarantula wasp sting is like one of the most painful stings that a human can experience from an insect and so what it does because it's a paralyzing thing and so what happened is it went from his hand and his hand kind of went numb and he couldn't feel his hand and then after about half an hour or so he realized that that paralyzing feeling extended through his wrist and then another <laughs> and he's 50... in the middle of the grand Canyon. he's in the middle of the bottom of the grand canyon oh. hiking with a bunch of boy scouts and then like another 15 20 minutes later suddenly he's numb up to his elbow and he's like <laughs> oh, oh my gosh how far is this gonna go and then like 15 20 minutes later he's numb all the way up to his shoulder and he's thinking oh my gosh the next step is my heart yeah you know <laughs> or <laughs> my like, face i'm gonna die at the bottom of the grand canyon these boy scouts are gonna be stuck down here well luckily that's where it stopped it didn't extend any further but i just thought that was a crazy cool story you know about how these wasps they're specific they hunt tarantulas for us but if you get stung by one you can feel like the paralyzing it's like petrificus totalis you know with harry potter you know it just paralyzes your body a little bit it's kind of cool no so. that's terrifying <laughs> thank you for sharing that you're, you're welcome all right we'll move on from the animals for now even though one last shout out for harry potter i'm pretty sure i can't prove it but i'm pretty sure frank from fantastic beasts the giant thunderbird from the new harry potter movies i bet you he roosts in the grand canyon who would know who would know because that's why Newt Scamander was bringing him to America to set him back loose in Arizona. And I'm sure these cliffs are the perfect place for Thunderbirds to, to make their nests. So that was fun fact number four. Grand Canyon has amazing animals. Very nice. All right. And fun fact number five. Our final fun fact. So much fun. I'm excited because I think I know it's coming. Almost always. Yeah. Number five is always... The human history stuff, Exactly. Right? Yes. Fun I'm fact excited. number five. Grand Canyon has a great, 
exciting, continuing human history. And so there's so many things. Oh my gosh, we, we can literally go back thousands of years because the Grand Canyon area has been inhabited by people for like more than 12,000 years. So the Paleo Indians, the first people, the ancient man, the great hunters, you know, they there's traces of them, you know, and their spear points and things like that in the Grand Canyon. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> so cool i love it and so people have been here for forever and so i mean you've got the paleo indians after the paleo indians you have archaic peoples you know three thousand and ninety thousand years they kind of separate them a little bit based on like the tools that they used okay and so like the paleo indians you know they were very nomadic hunters you know spear tips and stuff like that the atlatl you know that they're really known for that and then like the archaic people they were hunters and gatherers you know they made stone tools rock paintings pictographs and things like that the evidence in the grand canyon and some of the museums there's like these little like split twig like figurines it's like they made like little toys for their kids mm -hmm. in like the shape of like an animal cool and so you can see some they of have those. those in the museums mm-hmm Oh. And so some of those are so old and so cool. And then after the archaic people, I mean, they, they call them basket makers because they, they're like 1300 to 3000 years ago is their time frame. They wove baskets and shoes and stuff from the fibers of the yucca plant. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's pretty cool. And I think they were the first people that were farming in the area. And so there's evidence of them growing beans and corn and stuff like that, kind of down in the bottom of the Grand Canyon and different things like that. They hunted bighorn sheep and collected pine nuts and stuff like that. And so that's that group of people. And then the people that I think a lot of people are more familiar with, you know, we're getting into like the ancestral Puebloans, you know, and so the, the people kind of in the Southwest that built like the Mesa Verde Cliff Palace, that group of people. Mm -hmm. There's so much of that in the Grand Canyon area. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have to drive very far, a couple of hours, and you hit some really, like, world-class ruins. Oh, yeah. It's so amazing. And I think, you know, a lot of times people think that, you know, here in America, we don't have a very long history. Well, if you're thinking of Euro-Americans, yeah, we haven't been here that long, you know, compared to Europe and stuff like that. But people have been here for tens of thousands of years. Yeah. There is a rich history here in America. You know, the native peoples, they go back so far it's so cool, the things that you can find, especially for me growing up in Utah, the Southwest, the ruins and things that we find there, they're really special to me. And I think it's so neat. I absolutely love it. That's why I love that the Desert Watchtower is kind of built in that Southwestern ancestral Puebloan style. You know, it kind of represents a lot of the native peoples that there are still quite a few around in that area. There's 11 tribes Mm -hmm. of of native peoples that claim some type of ancestral home or connection to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, well, and I mean, the whole Grand Canyon area is surrounded by modern day, you know, Native American reservations. Mm -hmm. So as you're even as you're driving between the North and South Rims, you know, you're driving through Native American land. Yeah. So I mean, that's really cool. And I do think, you know, the Grand Canyon has taken a lot of steps forward to connect with those tribes mm -hmm. and to really help us learn more about them through, you know, we mentioned at Desert View, they do like cultural demonstrations and things like that. So they have people, local people that come in mm -hmm. and teach more about their heritage. But then you've also got like 
This is just recent in the news. They have changed the name of Indian Gardens, which is one of the campgrounds down in the Grand Canyon that you can stay at. They changed it to have a Supai Gardens because that was more uh, culturally correct. You know, the Mm -hmm. Native peoples did not like the name Indian Gardens and wanted it changed. Yep. And so I just I think that it's really cool that you can go to the Grand Canyon and you can really get a, a nice introduction to the the native peoples that have lived in this area. You know, their ancestors have lived in this area, like you said, for thousands and thousands of years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They've been here so long. There's a lot of different creation stories about the Grand Canyon that are so cool. Cool. I love stories. <laughs> oh, I love the Native American legends. So the 11 different tribes... There's the Havasupai, the Wallapai, the Navajo, Zuni, Yavapai, and Apache. And then there's five different bands of Paiute. So you've got the Kaibab, Las Vegas, Moapa, the Paiute Indian tribe of Utah, and the San Juan. Now, there's the creation stories of the Grand Canyon. There's a few things that are common and there's some specific differences. So there's like three that I thought were super cool. But I'll start with the Havasupai one because I think that one... It just blows me away. I think it's so much fun to read. So the Havasupai Indians, according to the Indians that live in these deep gorges, the Grand Canyon originated in the following way. Before there were any people on earth, there were two gods, Tokopa of goodness and Hokomata of evil. Tokopa had a daughter named Puke'e who he hoped would become the mother of all living. Hokomata, the evil, was determined that no such thing should take place, and he covered the world with a great flood. Tokopa, the good, felled a great tree and hollowed out the trunk. He placed Puke'e in the hallowed tree, and when the water rose and flooded the earth, she was secure in her boat." Finally, the flood waters fell and mountain peaks emerged. Rivers were created and one of them cut the great gushing fissure, which became the Grand Canyon. Puke'e, in her log, came to rest on the new earth. She stepped forth and beheld an empty world. When the land became dry, a great golden sun rose in the east and warmed the earth and caused her to conceive. In time, she gave birth to a male child. Later, a waterfall caused her to conceive, and she gave birth to a girl. From the union of these two mortal children came all the people of the earth. The first were the Havasupai, and the voice of Tokopa spoke to them and told them to live forever in peace in their canyon of good earth and pure water, where there would always be plenty for all. That's beautiful. And the Havasupai tribe is the one that lives. They have a settlement down in the bottom mm-hmm. of the Grand Canyon. Right. Yeah. I think it's now, so... Nowadays. Nowadays, like right yeah. Right now. But they've been there forever. Yeah. They have... Yeah, but they're still there. Yeah. It's amazing. It's so cool. I just think it's so beautiful. Now, one thing... So the Wallapai legend of the canyon's creation is a little bit differently. But the, so the, the Havasupai... The Wallapai and the Navajo, they all have a creation legend around the Grand Canyon. But one thing they all have in common is a great flood. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the Wallapai's legend, it's so that it starts, you've got these characters, you got a few characters, but then there's this great flood. And then this character, Pakitha Hawaii, 
he went forth and he carried a knife that he had prepared with a flint and a large heavy wooden club and he struck the knife deep into the water covered ground and then he smote it deeper and deeper with his club and he moved it back and forth and as he struck it further into the earth he kept digging it and digging it until the canyon was formed and all the water rushed out hmm. to the sea cool yeah and so the navajo one the people actually become fish during the flood and then they become people again after the flood dissipates <laughs> that's so cool yeah i don't know it's just so cool for some reason there's this giant flood this is what it is for me the native people have been here so long somewhere along the way they actually beheld a giant flood and it created this giant canyon. Mm -hmm. And so the stories have been passed down from generation to generation until just those pieces are still there. But I think that that is so cool. I absolutely love it. I think it's cool that, that the, the Wallapai guy created the canyon out of the earth with a giant knife. Yeah. 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 I think that's so fun. And so beautiful. It's very poetic. And I don't know, I just think it's so neat. But I would bet that somewhere along, I bet you there's a lot more truth to that creation story than people realize if we were to go back and trace, you know, some of these things that actually happened in history. Well, especially if you're going back, you know, you said 12,000 years. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's very impressive. And I just, I love the legend around it. Mm -hmm. Because can you imagine? I mean, I think the reason I love Native American legends so much is because if you try to see the world through the way they would have seen it mm -hmm. when they were there, you know, it's like, honestly, after traveling through Arizona, you know, mm -hmm. the Arizona desert and stuff, yeah. and then when you reach the Grand Canyon, I mean, you would need something to explain to yourself why that was there. Because People are naturally curious. And, you know, that's why I love those legends is because it, it comes from a place of people making peace with the land that they see. Yeah. And the things that they see around them. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I just I can't even imagine stumbling upon the Grand Canyon. Yes. And <laughs> especially because you wouldn't even you wouldn't have a clue if you've driven from like Williams up to the South Rim. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. It's just flat and boring. <laughs> you know, like, it's the most unexpected thing feature it is most unexpected well, thing finally get to the grand canyon and it's just like boom you know there it is so i i love that that's so, so cool. funny story this is getting into i guess euro american history after you know columbus and everybody had kind of come to america right the spanish they taken over quite a bit of central and south america so it was like 1540 i think there were some explorers that decided we're going to go north. We've heard all about these like seven cities of gold, you know. Mm -hmm. And so in 1540, they set forward like this group of army guys, these group of soldiers, and they decided we're going to go north. We're going to go find these. Well, after about six months after traveling from Mexico City, they arrived just east a little bit in a place called like Hopi Mesas. They arrived just east of the Grand Canyon and the Hopi people, they were questioning the Hopi people, where are these seven cities of gold? You know, where should we go? Where should we go? Well, the Hopi people obviously thought that they didn't want these guys around very much. <laughs> and so... I don't they, blame them. <laughs> and so what they did is they said... They basically told these guys, I don't know where you're going to go from here, but if you're looking for stuff, you can't go that way. And they're like, why? Well, because there's this giant canyon. You guys are going to need to go keep going east. So what they did is they took a group of these soldiers and 
the elders of the Hopi tribe instructed the scouts or the, the helpers, the Hopi individuals taking these Spaniards. And so they said, take them up there, but don't be helpful. <laughs> and so what they did is they like took these Spanish soldiers on this most roundabout route on the way to get to the highest point of the South Rim. And so it took them like three weeks to get there. And I just imagine by the time they get these guys, they're tired, they're worn out. And then all of a sudden the Hopi Indians are just like, well, there, there it is. Go. <laughs> Good luck. And so these Spanish explorers, they're seeing this Grand Canyon. They're just like, uh... And the leader, Coronado, I think was his name. He looks down and he's like, what are you guys talking about? The river looks like it's only like five feet wide, you know? <laughs> and so that's why you need to get down into the canyon because when you're at the rim, you don't grasp how big it is. And so they spent like three days trying to find a way to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And after three days, they had only gotten down like 1,500 feet. And if you know how big the Grand Canyon is, that's like a quarter of the way down. Mm -hmm. And so by the, they only got a quarter of the way down and they realized some of these guys that went down, they're like, that river is way bigger because they've gotten a few glimpses of it here and there. And the Hopi people, they're just like, there's no way across. This whole place is a wasteland. You guys really shouldn't be spending any time here. This is a waste. Mm -hmm. And so these Spanish, they're frustrated, they're tired, and they finally get back to Hopi Mesas and they're just like, there's no way. <laughs> And so, <laughs> and so they went off to Texas, they went off that direction, and it was another 235 years before anybody else even attempted to explore that area. Because <laughs> the Grand Canyon was blacklisted. <laughs> the Hopis had done such a good job of just like breaking the hearts of these explorers and just, you know, making everybody think this is a wasteland. There's no way to cross it. You know, the next people that came, it was after, it was around basically the civil war, 1850, 1860s was mm -hmm. the next time someone even attempted to come down and explore this area on maps, even on maps. It was just like blank. People mm -hmm. would had like maps of the whole U S and this area was just blank. It was like the great unknown is what people put for the grand Canyon oh, area. I love that so much. <laughs> well, and when you, you know, like the South Rim is still pretty rural, mm -hmm. you know, you're not really, I mean, you've got the big city of Flagstaff right there and stuff, but you know, that's still like an hour, hour and a half outside of the Grand Canyon. Right. But so, you know, the South Rim has seen some some more development kind of in the surrounding area. But we were just at the North Rim and it always, whenever we're driving down there, it always surprises me how little there is mm -hmm. right there. Even by way of amenities, there's nothing there. Right. You know, and so I feel like even now it's a nod to that history yeah. of just how difficult it is to travel among that area and how long it took people to even know what was there because they're still like civilization has not caught up to that. Yeah, exactly. Which is what makes it so cool. <laughs> Thank goodness. Exactly. Oh my gosh. It's so cool. And my hero, I won't go too much into it, into this one because we could talk for hours about John Wesley Powell. Yeah. He's like, I have a whole book of his diaries. He is so cool. He was a Civil War veteran. He lost his arm during the war. And he was the guy that they chose to come and finally explore this area. And he 
did it. And he did it oh, in wooden boats. He did it, which would just be very scary. Oh my gosh. I was last night I was reading about his journal entry. The excursion, their whole group, they've gone through so many difficult things. And, you know, boats had been broken up by they started with four wooden boats and by the end they only had two because they kept getting crashed on rocks and water they had to go through waterfalls and they were just like they were dwindling they had problems with sickness and, well, and, and they're know, putting injuries. their boats in the in the river an uncharted river exactly not knowing what's coming up right they knew they knew the river up to a certain point and then like there was this huge gap yeah they knew like where it I ended they knew where it started going. but they knew nothing in the middle <laughs> and so they sent this awesome you know one-armed explorer down the grand canyon and him and his men you know they just were so tough they had to be so brave i can't imagine and there was actually one point where like the group they they encountered this waterfall and this group of rapids and like three of the guys were like we're going to so, die. Yeah. I'm We're not going to make it. So the group split. There was nine of them that started. I think one deserted near uh, Vernal or something like that. And then, but then, so there's eight of them. Like, so basically half the group was like, you guys are going to die. And the other half was like, no, you guys are going to die because it's two terrible choices. You either have to go through the rapids and the waterfalls and hope you come out the other side or you bail on the whole plan. You have to climb out of the Grand Canyon and brave a harsh desert that nobody is around. There's nothing there to <laughs> save you. Well, basically what happened, half the group split up. The three that actually decided to leave the river, they didn't make it. Yeah, we right? We have no idea. We have no idea what, what actually happened to them. But the, the ones that went down the, the waterfall and the great crazy rapids... What's amazing is like three days later, they were out of the canyon and they encountered like a couple of Mormon settlements, you know, and then they were they were able to get out and they were fine. But it's just like, I don't know. I've never been in a situation where I've like looked at my buddies and been like, I'm pretty sure you're going to die. And then your buddy is looking back at you thinking you're going to die. No, know? but I know what decision I would have made. <laughs> what decision? I wouldn't have gone down the river. You would have climbed out? I would have climbed out. I would have been the one that disappeared. <laughs> I would have been the group that died. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I think you would have stayed in the river. I think I would have stayed in the yeah. river because... You're much more uh, <sighs> confident in your river rafting skills. Yeah. I, I, I've had more experience on the river and I'm a little I would bit more comfortable. Like, I would have been like, nope. I'm going out on my feet. <laughs> that feels a little more stable to me. <laughs> oh my gosh. That literally is the choose your poison. That's yeah. literally what you're doing. But no, that was the, he went down the river a few times, you know, cataloging, mapping and everything. And finally, you know, that was the last frontier in the lower 48, you know, and he mapped it and it was such a cool thing. But, you know, the human history in the Grand Canyon, it's still going. We're part of that history. You know, it go all the way from the Paleo Indians out through the archaic, you know, current native tribes, you know, the Spanish, the explorers, you know, us. We're all part of this continuing tradition of visiting the Grand Canyon and being just totally blown away and in awe of what we see. You know, something way bigger than ourselves, bigger than life. It's supernatural in its existence and in the history and how old and there's just so many cool things about it. And we get to be a part of it. You visiting, you taking your kids, 
you talking about it with your grandkids or your grandparents, you know, however, the Grand Canyon, it's part of us here in America. And, you know, it's a world. That's why it's one of the seven wonders of the natural world, you know, but your visit matters and you being there matters. And, you know, the human history of this area is still being written and you can be a part of it. And I think that that is really cool. Thanks for exploring the national parks with us. Please share, like, and subscribe. And if you need any help planning your own trip, click on over to dirtinmyshoes.com. See you next week. Same time, same place. And don't forget to get some dirt in your shoes.